as we look at an introduction this morning to the Gospel of Luke, because we are starting an exciting new endeavor for the new year. We are going to, as a church, walk through the Gospel of Luke, verse by verse, and chapter by chapter. Maybe a lengthy process, but a highly beneficial process for us as a church. The last couple of months, I have generally been preaching topical sermons. And those topical sermons aren't bad. Uh, they have served a good purpose, and they will come up again in the future. But there are many benefits for us as a church to walk through a book of the Bible, verse by verse like this. Uh, one, we won't miss anything. A an obvious benefit we can't skip over anything. We'll come to the hard passages. We come to the familiar passages. We come to the convicting passages, the rejoicing, enjoyable passages. We just simply can't skip around. We get to understand a book of the Bible completely and, and wholly. Another benefit is that we're not reliant on the pastor to discover what God once said that week. We know what God once said. He said it in His Word. He's given us His full, complete revelation of Himself and what He desires in Scripture. And each week, we get to open that up and expose it, study it, make it clear, make it understandable, and walk away with a full grasp on a passage. We get to dive into the whole counsel of God's Word. We get to understand all aspects of God. Everything that He would have you or I know out of the Gospel of Luke, we are going to get to look at. And some of you, uh, I know what's going to happen, we're going to come across some passages that you're going to be refreshed by. Some of you are going to come across passages that you have never read before. And for most of us, we're going to come across passages that we simply don't understand, have never understood before. And we'll get to walk away as a church with a good understanding of this Gospel of Luke, this whole counsel of God's Word. Now Luke, I want to talk a little bit before we get into the passage this morning about the significance of this book and the significance of the author of this book. Uh, his name is Luke, and he actually wrote the majority of the New Testament. He only wrote two books, the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, yet his writings comprise one-third of the New Testament. The Apostle Paul wrote the most letters of the New Testament, almost comprising one-third of the New Testament himself, but Luke has the most content of any author in the New Testament, comprising one-third of our New Testament Bible. Luke is also the only author in Scripture that covers the most progression of Gospel history. With his two books, he begins by God breaking his silence, his 400 year silence from the intertestamental period by announcing the birth of John the Baptist. And he goes all the way to Paul's first imprisonment in Rome at the end of the book of Acts. Luke, as an author, covers roughly 60 years of gospel progression. No other author in the Bible covers that much ground of how the gospel came to the world and how the gospel ended up in the capital of Rome extending to all people. But Luke does. 
So through the Gospel of Luke, we get to see the life and ministry of Christ establishing the Gospel on this earth and how He takes it and begins to send His disciples out to the rest of the world. Luke also, in this Gospel, writes the longest Gospel. Out of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, Luke has the longest. It is the most researched Gospel, and it is the most detailed Gospel. Which is extremely significant, considering the content of this Gospel, the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. You and I get to open the pages of Scripture and we get to study verse by verse the longest, most researched, most detailed record of the life of Christ. We don't have to wonder what Jesus did while He was on earth. We don't have to wonder what He taught, what He stood for. We don't have to wonder about His heart about His character. In the Gospel of Luke, we're going to get to know about Christ. We get to walk away with a solid foundation as a church of who our Lord Jesus is. So it's safe to say that next to Paul, Luke is the most influential writer of the New Testament. Comprising one-third of the New Testament, covering 60 years of Gospel history and Gospel progression, writing the longest Gospel, the most researched Gospel, the most detailed Gospel of the life of Jesus, he is, second to Paul, the most influential writer that we can read and study about. And so we're going to walk through it verse by verse. We're going to do what Nehemiah chapter 8 describes. Where Ezra brought the book of God before the people and he opened it and he read it clearly and he explained it to them so that all the people had understanding. You know, that's the point of preaching. Sometimes I've wondered in my own mind, how can a man get up there and explain things that he can't fully understand himself? He can't understand all the depths and fathom all the richness of God. Yet preaching is when a man gets up and opens the Bible and exposes the Scripture, expounds them, and makes them clear and understandable so that all the people can understand. That's what Paul had in mind when he told Timothy in 2 Timothy 4. Preach the Word. Fulfill your ministry. Make God's Word known to the people. So church, I'm excited to begin in the Gospel of Luke and it is my responsibility to make it understandable to us all. To walk through it, every detail of it, so that at the end of this Gospel, you and I will know the life and ministry of Jesus in a full and complete way. And so we begin this morning, just as Luke begins his Gospel, with an introduction He actually doesn't get to the narrative of his gospel until verse 5. So he spends verses 1 through 4 with uh, uh, giving a prologue, giving an introduction, kind of setting the tone for his letter, giving us the intent and purpose of his letter. He's writing to a man named Theophilus. Not much is known about this man named Theophilus. There are several different theories about this individual. His name... Theophilus means lover of God. Some have speculated, and I will say that this group is shrinking over time, consistently shrinking, but a few people believe that since his name means lover of God, that he is actually a symbolic and imaginary character that Luke is writing to. He's actually writing to all lovers of God. That's not really Luke's style. 
Luke is concerned with detail. Luke is concerned with history. Luke is concerned with accuracy and reliability. And so it doesn't make much sense that he would start his letter to an imaginary person and then never pick that theme back up. So it's safe to say that Theophilus is a real individual. And Luke addresses him as the most excellent Theophilus. It's just a title of honor. We don't know anything about him other than that. He could have been a Roman official. He could have been a, simply a wealthy and well-respected man. He could have even been Luke's publisher. It's not uncommon for Greek writers to address their letters to those men who were going to fund and pay for their publishing. It's very possible that Theophilus was publishing this account on behalf of Luke. But what we do know about the man Theophilus is that at the very least, Luke wanted him to know more about Jesus. We don't know if he was a believer and Luke was writing to him so that he can grow in his faith. We don't know if he's an unbeliever who's simply curious and Luke's writing to him to satisfy his curiosity. But what we do know is that Luke wants him to know more about Jesus. And in that regard, isn't this Gospel written to us all? Believer and unbeliever alike? Anybody who is more curious, wants to grow in their understanding of the life of Christ? We can come to the Gospel of Luke that's set out for that intent and set out for that purpose to make the life and ministry of Jesus known in a most detailed way. And so that's what we find in this Gospel. That's what we find set forth in Luke's prologue here in the first four verses. He writes his prologue in a very classical Greek literary way, unlike the rest of his Gospel. He actually begins this Gospel in such a classical and well-polished and well-structured Greek way that he's attempting to set his Gospel on the same level as all of the other classical, literary, scientific, cultural, philosophical works of the Greek time. What Luke is saying with his prologue and even the very structure of his prologue here is that what I'm writing is worthy of the same consideration as all the other classical writings of Greek life. All the other scientific discoveries, all the other philosophical truths that we have out there, all of the other cultural and societal writings that are in our Greek society, that are in our Jewish society, what I'm writing deserves the same, even more respect than them. So he sets out, even in the structure of how he starts his Gospel, setting the stage for the importance of what he's writing. And so as we look into his prologue, and as we jump into these first four verses, we're going to see Luke establish first his authority. We're going to see him establish his competency for writing. And then we're going to see him state his purpose for writing this gospel. So look with me, if you will, in Luke chapter 1, verse 1. Luke writes and he says, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the Word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. 
We begin with verses 1 and 2 this morning as Luke establishes his authority to write this gospel. And we have to begin with Luke's background. Like I said before, not much is known about Luke. Not much is known about his background. He's actually only mentioned three times in Scripture. And in all three instances, he's mentioned by the Apostle Paul. And on a side note, I want to point out that really reveals the heart of the author, doesn't it? Here's a man who comprises one third of the New Testament, writes two very long books, two very long books that are meant to be read consecutively, and not once does he mention his own name. Luke, in fact, is so concerned with conveying the truth of Christ and the advancement of the gospel that he dare not waste one drop of ink or one page on his own name. Nowhere in any of his works does he reference his name. The only reference he gives is found here in verse 3. It seemed good to me also. That's the only indication Luke gives of himself. Everything else is spent on the accuracy of conveying Christ. That reveals to us the heart of our author the intent of the gospel that we get to study. And so he's only mentioned three times, and on all three instances he's mentioned by Paul. He's mentioned in Colossians 4, in Philemon 24, and in 2 Timothy chapter 4. In Colossians 4, verse 14, Paul calls him a beloved physician. That's something we know about his background. He's a doctor. That means that Luke is well-educated. That means Luke is intelligent. And that is something we clearly we'll see in his writing, in his writing style, in his attention to detail. He's, he pays special a, attention to detail in the healing ministry of Christ and gives details all throughout his gospel that none of the other gospels give. He gives the details of a physician. In Philemon verse 24, perhaps my favorite description of Luke, Paul calls him a fellow worker. We know from the book of Acts that Luke accompanied Paul on all of his missionary journeys, beginning with Macedonia. That also reveals the heart of our author. That Luke was a partner with the Apostle Paul taking the Gospel to all the nations. We hold Paul, the Apostle, on a very high pedestal as one of the greatest missionaries who's ever lived. He's taken the gospel to all of these hard-to-reach to places, all of these unreached people groups. He sacrificed his whole life to take the gospel everywhere, including to Rome. And yet, Luke was with him every step of the way. The whole book of Acts is Luke recording all of their mission efforts, all of their journeys taking the gospel to the world. And so we see Luke's heart here. That Luke, just like Paul, cares for the gospel advancement. Cares about the world knowing about Jesus. Again, isn't that why he wrote this gospel? Isn't that why he penned this book? Luke will actually end this gospel with an exhortation from Christ, go into all the world and preach repentance and forgiveness. Luke's gospel, his audience is intended to be Jew and Gentile alike. He wants everyone to know about Christ. And that's seen in Paul's description of him as a fellow worker. And so he shares in the same 
theology as Paul. He has much in common with Paul. The same mission drive. The same heart for the Gentiles. The same devotion to Christ as Paul had. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 10 and 11, we see Paul describe him for the last time. And that part of that letter, Paul's at the end of his life. He's about to be beheaded in Rome. And he's telling Timothy, I'm at the end of my life. I've I've fought the good fight. I've ran the race. Here I am at the end. I'm passing on the ministry to you. And he tells Timothy, I'm here alone. Everyone's deserted me. Luke alone is with me. That shows the extent and the depth of the relationship and companionship between Paul and Luke. That shows the loyalty of Luke to the Apostle Paul. That they are very close in heart, very close in relationship, very close in mission, very close in theology. Again, in fact, we can assume, although the language is very different, we can assume that if Paul wrote a gospel account, it would be much like Luke's gospel account, containing the same theology. In fact, Luke's gospel was written before Paul died. Paul most certainly would have read it and given his stamp of approval on it. And so we see Luke described as a beloved physician, a fellow worker. We see him described as a loyal brother to Paul. And yet it's none of these things, it's none of Luke's little known background that qualify him to write a gospel that's accurate and reliable. None of these things that we know about him qualify him to write a gospel that's ultimately for us canonical or scriptural. And Luke knows that. He knows his background doesn't establish him as an authoritative writer. He knows that his background doesn't establish him as a trustworthy writer considering the things of Christ. And that's why he pins verses 1 and 2 of his prologue to lay out his theology. And so Luke starts his letter by explaining to us that his authority to write an account of the life and ministry of Christ doesn't come from his background. It comes from his sources. That's where his authority lies to write this gospel. And he gives us several authorities in the first two, uh, several sources in the first two verses here that establish his authority. First is in verse 1. He acknowledges that other writings have been made. And knowing that Luke has a detailed and investigative background and heart we can safely assume that he consulted these other narratives that have been written, that have been compiled. Now, in a, in a very, very liberal estimate, Luke's Gospel was written sometime between A.D. 60 and A.D. 70, with the strongest evidence pointing to A.D. 60 or A.D. 61, very early part of the 60s. Now, although there's not an exact date that Luke gives in reference in his gospel, and he doesn't give many uh, references to historical accounts that we can date his book by, we do know, though, that there are many other New Testament writings written before the gospel of Luke. Aside from Paul's writings, and roughly about half of Paul's writings were written before the gospel of Luke, including his crown work of Romans, but aside from Paul's writings, both Matthew and Mark 
were written and already in circulation before Luke wrote his Gospel. So it's safe for us to know that when Luke says other narratives have been compiled of the things that have been accomplished among us, he most certainly is referring to the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Mark along with Paul's writings. He's acknowledging that I have used these sources. I know of these sources. I know of these other narrative accounts. I've had my hands on them. His close association to the Apostle Paul means he could have read any one of them and would have read all of Paul's writings. He says, I know of these other writings and I've consulted them. Part of my authority lies in my knowledge of the sources. Those who were first-hand accounts of Jesus, I've read, I've studied, I've written about. This also means that Luke set out to write something very different. Something more detailed, something more focused. Not to diminish the other two Gospels, but Luke intended to write a very detailed account to add to the other Gospel accounts. To clarify as much as he could the life of Christ. But it's not only his um, knowledge of the other narratives and use of the other narratives that make his writing authoritative, but in verse 2 he says that he is associated with those eyewitnesses and those ministers of the Word. And this almost exclusively refers to the apostles who were called both eyewitnesses and ministers of the Word. And in fact, for Luke, those two terms can't be separated. For him to consider you as a source, to consider you as a reliable source for his Gospel account, you have to be both an eyewitness and a minister of the Word. Because it's not enough to merely be an eyewitness, is it? The Pharisees were eyewitnesses of Jesus' life. Pilate was an eyewitness of Jesus' life. Herod and others were eyewitnesses of Jesus' life. Yet Luke would have certainly not considered their accounts reliable or trustworthy. They're unbelievers. They had a skewed view of Christ. So for Luke, he's saying, my authority lies not just in eyewitnesses, but in those eyewitnesses and those ministers of the Word. They're, the, they're one description of one group of people. They're believers. People who knew Christ, saw Christ, lived with Christ, and submitted to Christ, believed in Jesus, became ministers of His Word. Those apostles... And for Luke, as we've established with his relationship with Paul, this most certainly and probably mainly refers to the Apostle Paul as well. As we said, they're close companions. They went through life together. They advanced the Gospel together. As we go through Acts, we see them, uh, Luke recording with Paul their mission journeys of taking the Gospel around the world. And so for Luke... His sources are those eyewitnesses of Jesus who've lived with Him, talked with Him, followed Him, served with Him, were taught by Him. Peter, John, James, and yes, even the Apostle Paul, who in Galatians 1 said, I learned my Gospel from who? From Jesus Himself. Spent time in the wilderness learning from Christ Himself. Luke says, that's where my authority lies. My association with the Apostles who knew Jesus and in my association with the writings of Jesus. And that's what he makes clear there in verse 2. These things, by these eyewitnesses, by these ministers of the Word, these things have been delivered to 
us to me. Why consider my work as reliable and accurate? Because I went straight to the source of those people who knew Christ, lived with Him, ate with Him, spent time with Him. And they have relayed to me and approved of what I've written so that I can give to you. I'm not the source, but I am the link to the source. On a side note, that's why Luke's Gospel could be considered to be Scripture. There were canonical requirements for books to be included into the Bible. When the church sat down to decide what was of the Lord and what wasn't of the Lord, they had three requirements. One, every letter that was considered to be Scripture had to uh, be in sync with Scripture. It couldn't contradict other scriptural writings. couldn't contradict uh, the Old Testament. It couldn't contradict the writings of the apostles that were known to be Scripture. And so... One of the requirements is that it had to fit in with all of the other scriptures. Another requirement was that they had to a letter had to be Catholic. That doesn't refer to the Catholic Church. That simply means universal. That all the other churches in in the known world had to recognize it and submit to it. All the other believers had to recognize this as a work of God, which isn't surprising. John ten, I'm the good shepherd, my sheep what know my voice. We recognize God's writings, don't we? But the third requirement was that they had to be written by an apostle or someone closely associated with an apostle to get an apostle's approval stamp. And that's Luke. Same with the Gospel of Mark, who was written by a disciple of Peter. These are included in Scripture because of their close association with apostles. That's what Luke is getting at in verses 1 and 2, especially in verse 2 here. That's why my work is reliable. That's why my work deserves respect. That's why my work is authoritative. That's why I have the authority to write because I've been with those eyewitnesses and those ministers of the Word. And they have delivered these things to me. But the third thing, real quick, establishing Luke's authority, is that he is writing about those things that have been accomplished among us. That's significant. It means Luke's not writing things that are made up. He's not writing fairy tales. He's writing and recording actual events. Those things that have happened among us Christians is what he's saying at the end of verse 1. This Gospel that he writes, the subject of his Gospel, it is a record of reality. It's not Greek mythology. It's not a philosophical work. It's not something he's pulling out of air. It's not his own opinions, his own ideas. He's writing a record of reality, an actual and accurate recording of history. It's not even his own version of his own faith. He's setting out to relay the life and ministry of Christ as accurately as possible. What follows on these pages, church, is true. really happened. These things that we get to study, these things that we get to read in the Gospel of Luke, these are the concrete saving acts of God through the sending and sacrificing of His Son, Jesus Christ. These are not acts that are performed by man or made up by human authors. What Luke is writing about is what God has done. And if that does not spark within your heart a desire to jump into this Gospel and study it verse by verse, then I don't know what will. 
Because here we have the enormous privilege and opportunity as a church to walk through every word that Luke writes and know that it is true, reliable, accurate, authoritative. It really happened. Every prophecy from Jesus, every announcement of the angels, every healing miracle of Christ, and ultimately, the sacrifice of God Himself on the cross. It actually happened among us, is what Luke is saying. You can bank on it. You wonder what Jesus is like. You wonder how Jesus would care about an issue today. You wonder about the heart of God, the character of Christ Himself, how He would respond to something here and today. Let me tell you, you can find it in the Gospel of Luke. Where we can read what comes out of the mouth of Christ. And if what comes out of the mouth is from the heart, we know the heart of Christ. We can read about the desires of God. The perfection of our Lord. The humility of that Jesus submitted to for your salvation. When Luke writes in chapter 2 and says, Christ submitted Himself and was born in a manger, it's true. He went that far for you. Church, this wells up within us a desire to jump right in, head first, because we get to know about Jesus. There is no greater task for the church, is there? To know her Savior. Moving on real quick. The first part of verse 3 here. We've established Luke's authority to write. Now Luke wants to show us his competency to write. He wants to move to his own personal ability and his own personal investment to write about the Lord's life. You look there in verse 3. And he says, It seemed good to me also... Which, by the way, is a very humble and modest way to indicate inspiration from the Holy Spirit. But he says, It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past. That, those are the key words here. Those are the highlighted words we want to look at in Luke sharing his competency to write. That he has followed all things closely for some time past. That means Luke's Gospel isn't just something thrown together. It's not... Copy and pasted. It's not scribbled in here on the margins. It's something carefully and meticulously planned. Carefully researched. Carefully studied. And completely inspired by the Holy Spirit. And the fact that Luke followed all things closely for some time past means several things for us. Number one, it means that his work bears his personal investigation. That's what he's writing. That's what he's saying. That's what he's informing his readers of. I've studied. I've done my work. He's made the interviews. He's done the research. He's read the other narratives. He's asked the other apostles and so on and so forth down the line to make sure that his work is accurate and reliable. It's safe to say this well-educated, this well, uh, very intelligent physician is an expert concerning the life of Christ. He's poured his doctor-like knowledge and his doctor-like attention to detail and his time and his steady hand into learning about and being able to communicate the things of the Lord. It also means, number two, that Luke has investigated all things. That's what he says there in verse 3. I've followed, I've investigated all things closely. He spent time tracking down the leads. 
looking at all the information, all the oral traditions, all the stories that have been passed down, everything that he could get his hands on, all the available evidence concerning the Lord's life and ministry, he has investigated. Number three, it means that Luke has investigated for a long time. I followed all these things for some time past. That indicates an investment that he's made with his life. Again, it's not just something he's put together in a few years, in a short time. He wasn't just zapped with a bolt of inspiration and was used by God. He was used by God instead over many years. This gospel that he's writing is the result of decades of research written at a bare minimum of 30 years after the life of Christ. That's upwards of two to three decades of research and study to make sure what he's writing is right. Track down all the sources. Finally, number four, it means that Luke has investigated all things closely. It also means, that word closely also means carefully, or even better, it means accurately. This is the work of an intelligent physician who desired to make everything accurate and reliable. This is his life work. And he's communicating here completeness, exactness. I've written a complete account of the life and ministry of Christ. It's yours for the study. It's not some haphazard endeavor. And so we have today the privilege from God to read the longest, most detailed account of Jesus' life and ministry written by an inspired, intelligent, and well-researched individual. Written by somebody who can say, I've written a complete account of the life of Christ. Real quick here this morning, moving on to number three. We've looked at Luke's authority. We've looked at his competency to write. Now in verses three and four, we look at Luke's purpose for writing. And this is really the reason that we come to study the book of Luke. The, the reason that I will believe, that I believe it will be of so much benefit for us as a church. Because the sad reality is, most people in church have no idea what they believe or why they believe it. If you've been in church for any number of years, if you've been around any number of Christians for any length of time, it becomes very apparent most churchgoers have no idea about the things of the Bible. They rely upon all these outside sources for their information. They rely upon imperfect pastors instead of studying the Scriptures for themselves. They rely upon unstudied Sunday school teachers instead of looking into the Bible for themselves. They rely upon the history channel of all things instead of looking into the Scriptures for themselves. They rely upon anything that looks flashy, anything that looks trendy, anything that comes across the TV screen. They rely upon their parents, their grandparents, their spouse, their children, their friends, instead of taking the time to figure it out for themselves. Two Many churchgoers are still spoon-fed. And too many are being spoon-fed rotten baby food. They don't know the things of the Bible. They don't know the things of Christ. They don't know the life of Jesus. Isn't that the worst part? 
I'm not talking about knowing all the theological and all the doctrinal schemes of Christianity. I'm talking about the elementary principles of Christ. They don't even know the life and ministry of the one that they claim has saved them. It's an epidemic in the church, is it not? No clue about Jesus. No clue about the truth of Christ. No solid foundation for which to stand upon when attacked by the critics of the world concerning the things of Jesus. If the Jehovah's Witness or the Mormons come knocking on their door, they cannot defend themselves. It's an epidemic. It's a disease in the church. But thank the Lord and praise God He's given us a book here to cure that. Because that's Luke's whole purpose in writing. I want you to notice what he says in verse 4. Uh, he says in verse 3, I've, I've given you an orderly account, Theophilus. It's a structured, orderly account. Verse 4, for this purpose, that you may have certainty concerning the things you've been taught. Not that you'll be tossed about by every wave of doctrine that comes about. Not that you'll be pushed to and fro like a child in the faith. Not that you'll be convinced by any false teacher who comes along. But that you may know the things of Christ. I've given you this gospel that you can know everything there is to know about Jesus. Why would we not study this book? Why would we not walk through this gospel account? Luke is looking at us. He's screaming it in the first four verses. I've researched. I've studied. I've followed things for years. I've talked with the eyewitnesses. I've listened to the apostles so that you may know the truth. You don't have to wonder. You don't have to hope that you get it right. You don't have to pray to God that things will work out. You can open the pages of the Gospel of Luke of Scripture and know God. Study God. Study the things of God. Find salvation in God. Because here is a man inspired by God writing on behalf of God I've given you an orderly account that you may know me. There's no excuse, church. No excuse for us to not know the Scriptures. To not know Christ. To not know God. So, here's the whole purpose for the existence of this Gospel. God Himself inspiring this so that in the year 2016, Trinity Baptist Church would know the Gospel of Luke and know the things of Christ. We as a church must not be biblically illiterate. What happens when we're biblically illiterate? Anything goes. There are no leaders to check what's being preached. There is no one to hold the teachers accountable. And poison begins to slip into our water supply and taint us all. We will not be biblically illiterate. We will open the pages of Scripture from this pulpit, walk verse by verse through this wonderful Gospel that we may know at the end of this Gospel who our Lord and Savior is. We may know Christ. We, as a church, will study the Word of God that we may know God through His Word. The most accurate way to know God. The only way to know God. 
we will be able to engage the culture with His Word, witness with His Word, pursue purity with His Word, apply His Word to our lives, live out His Word in our lives, that we may know God accurately through His Word because we are going to study His Word, digest His Word, hide His Word in our hearts, and apply His Word to our lives. That's why we come to the Gospel of Luke. Because the themes and ideas behind this Gospel, Luke, with this book, is going to point us to Jesus. Through the account of His teachings, His life, His ministry, His love, His crucifixion, He will point us to Christ. Luke is apologetic in his Gospel. He's going to help us defend our faith and engage the culture and our society with our faith. All those questions being dodged our way from the world will be answered with the Gospel of Luke. Luke is a missionary Gospel written to both Jews and Gentiles and it tells how, how Jesus the Messiah has come to redeem the whole world. This Gospel church is Christ-centered, cultural, engaging, and Gospel preaching. And that is what we will be studying the Gospel of Luke. Christ-centered, culture-engaging, and Gospel preaching people. In his prologue, Luke testifies that his role as an evangelist is to bear responsible testimony to what God has done in human history in the life of Jesus of Nazareth. And I challenge you, stick with me. Let's get through this Gospel. Let's walk through every word written on the page. Let's go through every verse, every chapter, every passage. Hang with me for as long as it takes. Because if you desire God, if you desire to know Christ, I promise you, you will never be bored by this Gospel. If you desire to walk with Jesus, then 2016 is going to be a fruitful year for us as we enjoy the richest, longest, detailed account of His life. We, church, can know Jesus. Stick with me. And let's walk through the Gospel of Luke and be Christ-centered, culture-engaging, and Gospel-preaching people for the glory of God. Father, I thank You for our time in Your Word this morning. It, it is so good to open the pages of Scripture to know that You care enough about us that we may know You through Your Word, that You would reveal Yourself to us through Your Word. And I thank You for the attention of the people this morning. I know that sometimes it is, it is hard to stay with a person who's speaking, but I pray that Your Spirit grabs hold of our hearts and engages us to Your Word, not what's coming out of the, the preacher's mouth, but what's explaining Your Word that we may know You. And this year, God, I, I'm, I'm so excited for this new year. I'm so thankful for this first Lord's Day of 2016 as we begin to study Your Scriptures to know You. Let us set a precedent this morning that we as a church will do what we can to study Your Word deeply and richly that we may know You fully. Give us a passion and empower us to stay hooked up this year. Commit to walking through this book together as a church. We love You. We want to worship You now in this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.